Professor Andrews, from your experience, what's the most compelling argument that Richard Dawkins has generated for the atheistic worldview? And how can the theistic worldview grapple with that specific contention? Well, worldviews are of great interest to me. And in fact, in my most recent book, What is Man, Adam, Alien or Ape, I, I spend a whole chapter discussing what, what is a worldview and, and how do worldviews work. Uh, we all have worldviews, every one of us, even if we don't know, know it. We, we, our worldview is a set of assumptions which we hold to be true without being able to prove that in any kind of logical way. That's the foundation on which we build our understanding of life, the universe and everything and, and the world around us and the experiences we undergo. So worldviews are, are very important, are very important to, to each one of us. But the problem I think that the atheist faces in, in producing a worldview is that it is a restrictive worldview. Uh, you see, the theist can cover in his worldview, can, can take into consideration everything that the atheist does, science and, and nature, the biosphere, cosmology, the theistic worldview. And so we can look at the whole of reality, the, the vast range of experience that human beings can, uh, uh, can have. Uh, but the atheist can't do that uh, because the atheist has deliberately ruled out anything from his worldview that relies upon a non-material world. There is no spiritual world for the atheist. Everything has to be material. And that is, is a genuine problem because having deliberately ruled out the existence of any spiritual dimension to life and, and to existence, they are forced to stick to the material. And that means every material entity that exists must have a material cause. And then you get into a great problem of uh, an infinite regress of material causes. And, and they cannot account for so much of the experience of humanity, which is not material in its nature, cannot account for mind. Uh, that, that's a big issue in itself. What is mind? They have to say, well, mind is, is simply the brain at work. It is a kind of uh, emanation or, or byproduct of the physical activity within our brains, electrical activity and chemical activity. That was all going on, that's purely material. And out of that somehow emerges a human mind, which can think and can, can imagine. We can even think about things that don't exist. We can write books on fiction, books that are fictional. Uh, we can contemplate uh, things that we know very well couldn't possibly happen. Um, the mind cannot be explained in terms of purely material processes because electricity and chemistry and chemicals and, and uh, uh, the kind of processes that go on in the human brain 
they have no, no properties that could lead to thought. And if we accept their argument, their explanation of the human mind, then we have to understand that the human mind is, is a ghost. It's unreal. We experience it. We experience thought. In fact, most of our worthwhile experiences are involve our mind. Love and justice, poetry, music, all these things. Mathematics, some people like mathematics. They're all in the mind. And where do they come from? How did they get there? How did our capacity for mental process arise? And the materialist can only say, well, it's just a meaningless byproduct created by, by uh, inputs from the external world and by our genes in the way it handles those inputs. But that leaves us with a very depressing view of humanity. But that's where you finish up if you decide to embrace the atheistic world of you. Now, speaking of the debate between the atheistic and theistic worldviews, in a video called Guess Who Has the Burden of Proof, Frank Turek said that modern atheists have been saying, oh, I just lack a belief in God, so I have no burden of proof. Frank Turek said that more often than not, this attitude comes from styling the debate like, does God exist? Turek went on to say that a better way of phrasing the debate is, what better explains reality, theism or atheism? That way both sides are the burden of proof. Professor Andrews, why do you think that theism has a superior explanation for reality over atheism? Uh, well, the burden of proof is rather an interesting subject. Uh, you might be surprised to know that I actually agree with the atheist that in considering the existence or non-existence of God, they do not have a burden of proof. And the reason for that is very, very, very simple. Uh, it is that it is almost impossible to prove the non-existence of anything. Let's think of that for a moment. Uh, and, and so to ask the atheist to prove the non-existence of God um, is really asking them to do something that is, is virtually impossible. Only an omniscient being, being who knows absolutely everything, uh, only an omniscient being is able to say with certainty that something doesn't exist. But our, our, our knowledge is limited. Uh, for many, many decades, um, people in the West thought there was, uh, the, there was no such thing as a black swan. All swans were white. And then, of course, black swans were discovered in Australia. Um, you could be very wrong if your limited experience uh, leads you to believe that there is no such thing as a black swan. Uh, it's very difficult to prove that. Now, that doesn't mean, however, that the atheist has no burden of proof. It's a question of what it is you're trying to prove or disprove. It's a two-sided coin. So let's turn the coin over 
from the question of the existence or non-existence of God, where I say the atheist does not really have a burden of proof. It's unfair to ask him to prove that God does not exist. And incidentally, you, you, you know that most careful atheists don't actually say that. They say God probably doesn't exist. <laughs> they don't say he doesn't exist. Um, but let's turn the coin over. And on the other side, uh, we have uh, the following situation. They and we agree that the cosmos exists. No, no disagreement about that. Cosmos, the universe, I use the words interchangeably. Um, but then we may, may ask them, um, well, where did the cosmos come from? How did it come into existence? It, it is a material entity that has come into existence or that exists. Now, there are only two possible answers that the atheist can give to that. Um, and he has a very huge burden of proof in relation to this. The first, the first answer is that the universe was always there. The universe is the ultimate uh, reality. And uh, that, that was the position that, um, uh, that many of the older atheists took. Uh, Bertrand Russell, for example, says there's no point in asking where the universe came from or how it came into being. We just have no knowledge. We just have to accept it as a brute fact. And so the brute fact answer to the question um, is something that uh, I think uh, uh, Richard Dawkins would call a cop out, simply saying we, we can't. We can't answer the question. We have no explanation. And, uh, but it's a very wise cop out, because if you don't cop out at that point, and incidentally, I've, I've got a quote in, um, from uh, a man called Keith Parsons, professor of philosophy at the University of Houston. And he is in discussion with uh, Ed Faser, uh, who is a, a Christian. And the Atheist says this, <clears throat> uh, I think you and I agree that explanatory hierarchies will come to an end with an uncaused cause, something that has no causal antecedents and is the original, fundamental or primordial reality that possesses a set of distinctive properties which constitute the ultimate terms of every explanatory regress. So saying you're going to come to an end if you ask uh, why something exists and then uh, somebody answers and you say, yeah, but how did that come to exist? And, and, and you keep going, uh, you're in what's called an infinite regress, which never can arrive at truth, never has any explanatory power. Um, but he continues this, I see no reason why the ultimate reality cannot be the original, fundamental, or primordially and brutally factual physical reality. Whereas the incoherence of brute fact would be a state of affairs that just is, with no cause or explanation, 
of its existence or nature. And I think it's a very powerful quotation. It shows that, that this idea of a brute fact universe, which cannot be explained and which we should not try to explain, uh, is still alive amongst atheist philosophers. Uh, but of course, certain problems have arisen with that because uh, we have uh, today cosmological theories <clears throat> that uh, point to the universe having a beginning. We, uh, we can't accept uh, any longer that the universe always was um, and even science has finally caught up with the book of Genesis which says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and they say yes the universe had a beginning and you say well okay that's fine uh, that's the theory of cosmology it accounts for all sorts of things we observe uh, today but what, what was that beginning? What caused the universe to begin? And they might answer, uh, and this is actually an incorrect answer, but, but I'll give it because it's a popular answer. A cosmologist wouldn't actually put it this way. That the universe began with the Big Bang, a, a vast explosion in which it wasn't uh, an explosion in space, it was an explosion of space. And that the uh, explosion caused space to expand and cool and as it cooled energy got converted into matter uh, and and so on well okay we're not going to examine the big bang theory but we can say okay but what what caused the big bang and uh, they don't really know of course there are there are theories that some say well there was a, a kind of a cosmic egg that uh, existed for all time. Uh, uh, okay, you interrupt and you say, well, where did time come from? And what caused the cosmic egg to explode? And, and the fact is that they, there is no answer to that. It isn't just that they haven't yet got a good theory of it. There is no answer because whatever is material has to have a material cause. And so no matter where you go and what theories you indulge, you finish up by asking how did that cause come into existence? And they've got to give a material answer because they've excluded any kind of non-material uh, spiritual cause. And so, you know, I, I think that the burden of proof upon the atheist is, is extremely onerous. Uh, if they go for the brute fact universe, then it is a cop-out. They say, I can't, I can't prove it. I believe it, but I can't prove where it came from. If they go for the Big Bang and what happened before the Big Bang, then they're in an infinite regress of material causes. Because they can't, they can't invoke any other kind of cause but a material cause. Uh, something involving energy, space, time. I think they have a huge burden of proof. Uh, the Christian, yes, has a burden of proof in terms of the existence of God. And to some extent, the Apostle Paul answers that in the passage I read out earlier, because he says there is proof. 
you just look at the universe around you and it declares, as one of the Psalms, Psalms says, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. And that, that is so self-evident, says Paul, that they haven't any excuse for rejecting it. Um, there is evidence, but the atheists will not accept that evidence. But you see, he's still got to explain where the evidence, that is to say the cosmos, came from. And he can't do that. So his burden of proof is, uh, is unsustainable, whereas the Christian has a coherent, clear set of proofs, if you like, demonstrations. I actually, in the most recent book, What is Man? I actually set out there an argument from the origin of the laws of nature that has not been answered yet. I first used it when I debated Richard Dawkins back in 1986 and no one has ever provided an answer to that because they, they say, um, Stephen Hawking for example says that because there is a law like gravity uh, the universe can and did create itself. Well, okay, uh, where did the law of gravity come from? Well, there's no law of nature that can possibly explain the origin of the universe for one very simple reason, that laws of nature are descriptions of the way the universe works. That's it. If you don't have our universe, we don't have any laws because laws are simply descriptions, mathematical or scientific descriptions of the way the universe operates. But before you have a universe, you can't have any laws, except, as I say, unless those laws are in the mind of the architect, the mind of God. But that's uh, another story, of course.